From New Dog Media and Phoenix Fifth, it's the Settle Smarter Podcast. Every professor thinks that his course is the only course that you're taking, and that's not true. Like, you need to do coursework for your entire course load. You just need to manufacture hours in the day, reorchestration of puzzle pieces. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Hey friends, producer Paul here. Today Dana's guest is Aravinda Souza, Bullhorn's Vice President of Global Communications. A technology PR pro by trade, she also manages Bullhorn's strategic positioning with influencers and industry associations. Okay, smart settlers, welcome back to the podcast where we discuss everything with guests that exemplify what it means to settle smarter. And I'm so excited to have Vinda here with me today. Hi, Vinda. Hi, Dana. How are you? Hanging in in this precarious time. How about you? Hanging in is the accurate term. And that's actually, a, they, they, I think The Onion had a headline a few months ago, hanging in there about as good as it can possibly get for a response to the question of how are you? I love The Onion. Uh, Fun aside, I went to Madison 100 years ago, and that's where that paper actually originated, and I wrote for them. That's a long story. We'll have that on another show about Dana's history of journalism or how I got out of journalism, and Vinda could educate all of us about PR and journalism all day long. I don't think anybody wants to hear that, but go ahead. (laughs) Tell us what it's like in all the roles that you occupy in life and all of the hats that you wear in your company and as a mom and a wife and a friend and a daughter and all those good things. Cause women, as we know, wear so many hats. Tell us, tell us how you're kind of at least attempting to make it all work right now. Right. I would say that Everybody who's doing a good job of balancing work and life obligations generally wouldn't think that they're doing a good job at any given moment. Um, I like to follow the 75% rule, which is I give 75% of myself to work. I give 75% of myself to my kids and my family. Um, And that still adds up to more than 100%. So it doesn't work. But it's what it's the maximum that I can muster. I mean, another way of looking at it is sort of like the college course load. Every professor thinks that your course, that his course is the only course that you're taking. And that's not true. Like you need to do coursework for your entire course load. So you just need to manufacture hours in the day that don't otherwise exist. Uh, and maybe you prioritize one over the other when it's exam season and you've got a final coming up. But aside from that, it's just a constant, you know, reorchestration of puzzle pieces. So when you say that reorchestration of puzzle pieces, I think about arranging things and learning what works and learning what doesn't and applying the wisdom and then starting again and starting again. Is that fair to say it's an iterative process? Right. You've never really cracked the code, especially with children, really. I would say it's interesting because some people would argue that their work is a source of stress and their family is a source of relief. 
of course, I love and adore my family and love being a mom, but I would actually classify work as being the relief. Children are harder than most jobs. I was, I was trained to do my job. I'm smart um, and I'm capable. And I've been doing this for a really long time. So when I have a challenge thrown at me at work, I find it exhilarating. And I'm working with other adults who are rational and listen to reason. When I'm dealing with toddlers, it's not quite as easy and they don't listen to reason. Um, and I can't put them, you know, in their place and I can't like reason with them and, and make them see the light of day, right? They have their opinions and their those opinions can be pretty oppressive. But, you know, that being said, I think that, you know, the puzzle pieces are really a matter of prioritizing what's important right now and for better or worse, being willing to drop things at a moment's notice and pick things up and just not, not needing a lot of structure, being uncomfortable with the unknown. Because if you have a very, very set routine, I don't see how you'd be able to function in, in many roles at once. Yeah. And both men and women, our listeners, were pretty well split demographically. And what I love to tell the, the people that listen who are parents or even caregivers for elderly folks, um, mm-hmm. family or otherwise, if you feel like Vinda and I are aligned on this and we don't have to be, but if you feel like I work or I go to work or before COVID, I went to work and now I work maybe remote, but I still work mm-hmm. outside of the home for the break and that the family stuff is the stress, don't feel bad about it acknowledge it and, you know, be clear with yourself that that's not because you're a horrible human being. It's because you're just keeping it real. And that uncomfortable in the unknown is easier when you're real with yourself. Would you say that's fair? That's fair. And I also would say the stakes are higher and the stakes are different. So when I say that, you know, raising children is stressful as any parent obviously knows, I mean, the, the, the sky is blue, there's a newsflash. It's not because you don't adore the time you're spending with them. It's because the stakes are really high. The stakes for me at work are not quite as high, to be honest. I I work because it gives me fulfillment, because I love the company that I work for. I love Bullhorn. I love my coworkers and my my, senior leadership team. And I really adore the customers that we have and our mission and the work that we do and the quality of software we we provide. And I've been at this company for almost nine years. So that gives me a deep sense of meaning and fulfillment, absolutely. But ultimately at the end of the day, right? Bullhorn can take care of itself with or without me, right? That nothing's gonna happen to them if I got hit by a bus. If I got hit by a bus, a lot of bad things would happen to my kids. I can't afford to take that risk. Also, these are my kids. I can't, I can't take chances with them. You know, I'm responsible for their health and well-being and their long-term outcomes. And that's a massive responsibility. I chose willingly to create these lives. And I take full responsibility for everything that happens to them. And that's a a lot of weight for any parent to carry and to, to try their hardest doing something they've never really done before 
because the first time you have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old is the first time you've ever had that definition of first, right? Um, you really don't want to screw it up. <laughs> you don't you don't want to mess up that great responsibility that you've given. Parenting is absolutely a privilege. It is not a right. Um, and you want to do right by the the gift that's been given to you. And that's daunting because there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong, right? What would you say to other parents where they feel the same way as you, that the stakes are really, really high and that if they screw it up, it's so damaging and so potentially long lasting. You know, I joke about like, just put more money in my kid's therapy fund, but it's not exactly a joke, right? I mean, we even inadvertently unintentionally screw up our kids, even loving them as much as we do in providing, we still screw them up a little bit. So what would you say to those of us that are struggling with that? What's the first mile in giving yourself a little bit of a break and stepping back and thinking about it, what to do? So I think it's human nature to be harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So if other parents were to come to me with the same complaint and concern, I would give them a tremendous amount of grace and leeway and say, you're doing a great job. You're trying your best. Your kids will be fine. Children are inherently extremely resilient. Look at us. I mean, if you think about how we were raised and the parenting principles that were popular during that time, it's changed a lot. Like I, I, I wrote in the the back of a truck with no seatbelt on, like it, helmets were optional. There was a lot of things that we did that were pretty unacceptable by today's standards. And the vast majority of us, you know, we, we, we've turned out all right, you know, um, safety concerns aside, even in terms of, you know, the food we ate, we were, you know, we grew up on like Lunchables and Doritos and that was a major food group. And well, I would say that certainly didn't do me any favors um, in my mid thirties. I, I will tell you that ultimately I'm still here. Right. So uh People need to to be easier on themselves, but that's, you know, do what I say, not as I do sort of a mentality. I mean, we may be able to be generous with our friends and our colleagues, but we're not going to be as easy on ourselves. Our expectations are high. That's the definition of being self-motivated and and wanting to, to get it right. But yes, we don't really know whether the mistakes we're making as parents are going to have long-term implications or not. We can just hope that our kids will be fine no matter what um, and that they understand that we love them and we're trying and that that's good enough. I want to go back to your 75% because my listeners know I love the Pareto principle, which is 80-20. And I joke around with a lot of the people that I work with and coach. And when I keynote virtually or live, I talk a lot about, but 79 is okay. 79-21 is kind of my jam. But sometimes founders, you happen to work with a founder, as you know, I've helped many founders grow their businesses and sell them successfully. Many Mm -hmm. founders are like 99-1 or 100-0. How do you deal with anyone, whether it's a founder, a friend, a coworker, uh, a board you sit on, a a sister, a brother? How do you deal with those that are more like 99-100, good is not good enough, it's the enemy of great? How do you deal with that when you're like, yeah, 75-25? I think as important as it is to associate with very motivated and smart people, it's also important to associate with human beings who have a good sense of perspective. And I do sit on several boards. um, And of course, I I have a full-time executive job and, you know, raise children and 
would like to think that I'm a decent wife, although I think of, of all the, the the roles I play in my life, I deprioritize that one the most, and my husband would probably agree. Um, I would say that I'm fortunate in that the people who I work with at Bullhorn are just remarkably decent human beings. I mean, we uh, we understand that, you know, we have major obligations to our customers. We have obligations to our partners, to our employees and ourselves and, you know, our, our business growth and trajectory. But ultimately, they always viewed us as human beings first. And so as a result, we are allowed to prioritize things that aren't always about work and 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 be our complete versions of ourselves. And a good example of that is, you know, parenting. I always, I always operated under the assumption because of course I worked at so many companies, but I've always operated under the assumption that, that truthfully women would be wildly empathetic bosses and men would not be empathetic. And it actually turned out to be not exactly that way in practice. It, it really does depend. I mean, I've, I've had female bosses who were just exceptional and who shaped the whole course of my career and I've had some who were actually pretty resentful and bitter about having not been afforded the same amount of empathy and grace early in their careers and held female employees to a bit of a higher standard. And it kind of worked against us. And I, I didn't obviously want to be at those companies long term. And then all the, the supervisors I've had at Bullhorn have been male. And they've all been true, like definition of the word, feminists, and that they elevate me, they support me, they acknowledge my humanity, they don't make implicit associations about what I can and cannot do. They are very dedicated parents themselves. I would say that, not that there's any correlation because you can have an amazing supervisor who is not a parent and will never want to be a parent. Um, but just as, as chance would have it, my uh, my bosses at Bullhorn have all been fathers and they're really, really good fathers. And they have a lot of respect for the mothers of their children. And as a result, I've never felt pressure to be less attentive to my kids. And also, I mean, in some ways that's made me, I guess, less of a defensive posture in how I operate. And so I'm much more willing to give 100%, well, for lack of the statistical feasibility of that, to give as much of a percent as I can to work because I feel as though it's not held over my head. It's not, you know, I'm not really against a wall with that. It's really, you know, I don't feel that tremendous pressure to make work my only priority. And ironically, it helps me make it more of a priority as a result. Uh, it's funny how that works, right? You don't, you don't feel so uh, so oppressively forced into assuming one position or the other, and as a result, you're able to kind of swing between both with a little more ease. It, it's so beautiful to hear you tell that story. Talk to us a little bit about how that shows up for women, and for women in particular in the staffing arena. Many of our listeners are not as familiar with the staffing industry as we are. Now, for those of you that don't know, staffing is a $3.9 trillion global industry, so it's very large. It rivals IT goods and services. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, there are so many women in the industry that we know and love called staffing, 
And if you think about recruiting and search and the way people find and retain positions and work through many, many different ways of getting there in our staffing arena, there's a lot of room for women, women to come in, women to grow, women to be supported and lifted up. What would you say to women that aren't as familiar with staffing about breaking into our industry? That's a good question. I mean, staffing is all about relationships. It's absolutely about elevating the value of the human relationship and facilitating that deep trust and connection between people. And staffing agency practitioners and leaders are better at that than any demographic of people I've ever known in my entire career. So I would think that they're uniquely suited to be able to support each other as you know, embracing their whole selves at work and, and bringing that empathy to how they engage with candidates and clients and other stakeholders and being able to help find the perfect match, you know, between a client and a candidate or, you know, a job order and and the perfect resume or whatever it may be, you know, really trying to open doors in the right way by nature of embracing, you know, their own personal experiences. Good examples of of this are the the more um, segment-specific agencies that have come about in the past 10 years that specialize in certain types of talent catering to returning mothers or veterans or, you know, um, uh, former, former convicts, for instance. You know, there's a lot of great, wonderful opportunities for all sorts of diverse talent. And the staffing industry is really leading the charge as far as helping the rest of the world to see the real unlimited potential of human beings when given the chance. That is such an incredible answer about unlimited potential. It certainly was true for me and my journey after university. I mean, I did take a stint to do four years in nonprofit, but my listeners know I spent 25 plus years in staffing and it was an incredible learning experience and growth experience. And it afforded me so much opportunity also to move out and move up as I made the journey through different kinds of companies. I always really felt like for women in particular or really underrepresented groups in particular, it might be a little bit of an unsung hero. So if you're listening and you don't really understand staffing or know about it, and you're just hearing about it for the first time with the conversation that Vinda and I are having, we encourage you to look at it because as people return to work, work differently. Um, I refuse to call it the new norm. Uh, The new next. (laughs) The new next. Um, I really encourage you to look because it is a really great place to kind of hone your career and really come with your full unlimited self so you can grow and be appreciated. So I don't want to run out of time and we have two things left that we've got to do, Vinda. It's so easy to talk to you. I mean, I could have you on all day. So (laughs) Uh, if you have a quote you would like to share, a favorite quote, your own or someone else's, we'd love to hear that. And then we're going to do our fact versus fiction lightning round that we do every show. Which would you prefer first? Um, I'll do the quote first. Okay, please. Uh, so my favorite quote is ironically something that was never really meant to be a quote. I was a sophomore at Tufts University in an astronomy class. And my professor, I, if I recall correctly, his name was Professor Kenneth Lang said while describing just how the cosmos works, chance has no memory. And I always found that to be truly beautiful. And I remember writing it down in my notebook um, because I think that the idea that anything could happen and sometimes 
it doesn't work, but sometimes it might work. And what happened before doesn't automatically predispose you to having something happen again is a really profound concept. It's it's rare to silence me as a yeah. host of a podcast, someone that talks for a living. That is incredibly profound. Uh, I actually work with someone who's an astrophysicist, one of the only women actually like her in the world. And I am going to share that with her. I sit on her board, a company called Infiniscape. So I'm going to share that with her. You gave, gave me food for thought. So settlers, if you're settling smart right now, you're getting smarter by that quote. And if you're not settling smart right now, wake up kind. It's time for fact versus fiction. I want you to think about that incredible astronomer-based quote that she shared about chance having no memory. And I want you to give yourself the opportunity to take some risk today. Even in a time of uncertainty, it sounds crazy town to say, but take some risks. But we're going to try it right now with Vinda because she's really leveling us up here today. So Vinda, here's your round of fact v. fiction. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Bring it on. Empathy is optional. Fact or fiction? Fiction. Oh my gosh. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to associate with you if empathy is optional. My goodness. Okay. What about for women based on today's conversation or anything that you believe that you, we didn't have time for today, women have to work harder to get ahead. Fact or fiction? Ugh, I don't want to say fact, but in all objectivity and statistically fact. Women have to work harder to stay ahead. Fact or fiction? Also, since I live in a lovely suburb filled with women who went to Ivy Leagues and had really great jobs and then dropped out of the workforce, mostly voluntarily, but nonetheless don't really want to go back, uh, I, I would say fact. Again, it's, it's, there is there's a bit of a glass ceiling that we still have to crack. Yeah, at least for another 150 years, according to the statistics. Did I just say that out loud? Producer right, Paul, right. do not cut that. We want that on this show so um, that we can make it 149. I did hear something as an aside of um, how instead of a gender reveal party, because we all know how catastrophic those would be, and I, I personally would never partake, um, why don't you just hand out an envelope with 72 cents as opposed to a dollar to determine if it's uh, if it's female or male? But <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I'm glad this is only audio and not video, so no one has to see my sad panda face. <laughs> Mom of two young daughters who are crusaders. Girls, if you're listening, tune out now because this part is not that great. <laughs> It'll get but, better by the time they're older. It will. At least incrementally, right? So we'll go right. from 72 to 75, but that is a huge uptick. That's not just a rounding error because we're starting from behind. Okay. Now for men and women, any age, any demographic, any color of the rainbow, are we as a humanity too hard on ourselves, fact or fiction? We uh, both, we are too hard on ourselves about things that we cannot control and too easy on ourselves about things we can. Please say more. So we absolutely, you know, hit ourselves over the head with pots and pans over things like mental health problems and emotional struggles and how hard it is just to exist in this world and reliance on technology and social media and things of that nature. And yet we give ourselves a, sometimes a bit of a free pass on not contributing enough to charity, not 
doing enough to, you know, help environmentally, not doing enough to necessarily help, un, you know, marginalized and oppressed people. Um, it's it's a little bit of a strange amount of pressure that we put on different aspects of our life. So this is a really good time for our listeners to think about the smarter part of settling. To sum up Vinda and all of her key points, if you don't make conscious trade-offs and priorities, you're not going to be able to get smarter. You're already smart. We're humanity. We're smart. We're born smart. The question is, do you want to keep growing and getting smarter? And how in the world do you go about doing that? If you read between the lines and everything Vinda said today, including the quote that she shared, it's kind of a push and pull, isn't it, Vinda? It's like mm-hmm. go forward and go back and go left and go right. I'm, I'm hearing like navigational almost information and advice. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair. You're you're the captain of your own ship and it's a, a rough sea, but you're trying to get to the shore. That's all you're trying to do. And given this time in 2020 of all the unbelievably difficult navigational roadblocks and obstacles and speed bumps. What we all know is that we're in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. So regardless of what boat you're in today, we thank you for listening. We thank you, Vinda, so much for your honest, open, authentic, and very clear way of sharing how you make it all work. Thank you, Dana. I really appreciate it. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.